had been on trial, but not really a trial, more of just an inquisition as he went before the governor, Festus, and King Agrippa, and he spent time sharing his testimony with them. And after sharing his testimony, King Agrippa says, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. <laughs> almost. He was that close to becoming a Christian. Um, but that close isn't good enough. At the end, when he got up and walked out, Agrippa was with Bernice and Festus and and they said, you know what? If he didn't appeal to Caesar, he may have been set free. And so that's another one of those, if he didn't, he may have. And, you know, he had been in Caesarea for two years in custody. He may have been set free if the right person was there. But... Anytime it comes to politics, just throw, you know, what you expect out the window because they were being political. They were saying, you know what, we're going to favor the Jews in this case. We're going to tell the Jews, you know, we're not going to let them go. We're uh, going to do what we can to keep him in custody so he's out of their way. It didn't stop Paul. Paul still had plenty of people coming to visit him. He was pouring into them. They were going out. The word was still getting out. The word wasn't going to stop because the Jews wanted Paul to stop. He continued to do exactly what God had called him to do. So Paul remained there in custody for over two years. Now he's waiting to be sent to Rome for his trial. Today's message is titled, Peace in the Shipwreck. And we're going to pick up in chapter 27 in verse 1, where we read, And when it was decided that we should sail to Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to one named Justice, uh, Julius, a centurion of the Augustan regiment. And so entering a ship of Adramidium, we put to sea, meaning to sail across the coasts of Asia. And Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica, was with us. And so here we start out. They're getting on board a ship. They're finally on the way to Rome. Paul was told by Jesus, he was going to Rome, that he was going to get there. And so he was completely convinced that eventually he would get here and there. And now he is on his way. They've got the ship lined up. They're getting on board. Notice that it says that when we should sail to Italy and then um, the other gentleman that was named is Aristarchus, Macedonia of Thessalonica. These are friends of Paul. Who's the we? Well, the author of the letter, Luke, has caught back up with Paul. And so now Luke and Aristarchus, uh, 
are writing with Paul. You know what? Paul had been in three shipwrecks by this time. <laughs> I don't know. I would say, hey, we'll catch you. We'll catch you in Rome. We're going we're gonna to take the stagecoach. You know, but... No, they're there. They're going to be with him to encourage him, support him while they're traveling uh, to Rome. So the next day we landed at Sidon and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him liberty to go to his friends and receive care. So they land at this port and Julius, who is a centurion, meaning he has a hundred guards. Now, I don't know if all hundred were with him, but we know that there were other prisoners there. And so if there were other prisoners that were there, they were probably under guard also. And so as they land and he sends uh, Paul out there to go visit with friends so he can receive care, I'm sure there were guards with him also. He didn't, it, it, it wasn't like, hey, yeah, just go into the country, come back for your court date whenever you feel like it. And, um, you know, it wasn't like that. This was a little more um, under control through guards probably that went with him. But the amazing thing is he allowed him to go. And that tells you something about the relationship that he had, Julius had, with Paul. And uh, so he trusted him, which was very unique. And when we had put to sea from there, we sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed over the sea, which is off Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship sailing to Italy, and he put us on board. And when we had sailed slowly many days and arrived with difficulty off Canitis, the wind not permitting us to proceed, we sailed home unto the shelter of Crete off Salome. Passing it with difficult, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassie or Lassie. So here, they're just documenting the trip that they're taking. But this is important for us to understand because all of us are not nautical. I spent nine years in the Navy, so I understand a lot of what they're talking about, except my ship didn't have sails. The ship that they're using was a smaller boat, it's a ship, that had sails. It had a mainsail and probably a bow sail, and it carried grain. So the grain was probably coming from Egypt, going up to Rome. And they would load these ships with as much grain as they could handle, because Rome had probably about a million people at the time, and Rome had ships coming from everywhere with all different kinds of resources. And so this was one of the grain ships that were coming up. And so as they were traveling, uh, they were taking the coastline, which is normal. There was a more direct route that they could have taken across the sea 
to get where they were going, but they didn't take that direct route. Uh, there were a lot of problems with taking a direct route, heavy storms and, and pirates and all other kinds of trouble. So they stayed along the coast as they traveled. One problem with ships like this is that they only sail well when they have a good wind, the right wind. They need to have the wind behind them pushing them forward. If you get a headwind, it ain't going anywhere. It's just going to sit there. And so while it is challenging to um, be in a ship like this, to navigate a ship like this through the waterways and to get them there, they had experience doing this. So they knew what they were doing and they knew how to wait out a storm, you know, how to use the islands to block the wind. And uh, if they had a headwind, they can use the islands so that the wind wouldn't hit them directly and they would, it would be slow going, but they would still continue on their way, on their journey. And so that's how come it says, uh, we had sailed for many days and arrived with difficulty off Canidus, the wind not permitting us to proceed. And we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Solmoni. Passing it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lassie. So when they got to this place called Fair Havens, it was a port. And uh, Fair Havens sounds like a nice place to, to stop, right? Hey, it's, you know, got fair winds and following seas. And, and so they were going only to stop there for a short period of time, resupply, uh, restock uh, their food supplies and stuff and whatever else they needed to do. But it wasn't a place where they were going to stop for any length of time. Now, verse 9, when much time had been spent and sailing was now dangerous because the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but our lives. When Paul speaks about ship, he had been in three of them already. Okay, so when he's speaking of shipwreck, people should listen. Oh. This guy may know what he's talking about. He, he's pretty experienced. That he probably has more time at shipwreck than he did actually traveling one place to another. But here he was warning them. Now, it mentions that the fast was already over. That gives us a time of understanding, a window to understand when this was. This was after sailing season. When the fast came, by that time, nobody was sailing because it was just too dangerous to be sailing at that time. And so that's why the fast was actually brought up there. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. Well, of course, you ask the experts, right? The helmsman who drives the ship and the owner of the ship. Well, you would think that the owner cared about his ship and was going to protect his ship. 
You, they just had the car show. Anyone go to Concourse? You know, they had plenty of cars out there. Those owners of those cars weren't like, yeah, jump in. Take it for a ride. You know, start it up. Rev the engine. No, they weren't like that. They, that's my car, you know. Well, this owner was like, hey, my ship, I think we should go on, you know. I think it's going to be okay. And he persuaded the centurion. Now, the centurion, although he likes Paul, uh, Paul wasn't a navigator. He was a tent maker, okay. So he wasn't a navigator. He wasn't someone um, who actually uh, used it. But he had something going for him. He was friends with someone who walked on water. So, you know, you should take that into consideration. Uh, the, the centurion didn't. I, I kind of question as I read this, if the centurion actually was saved or got saved somewhere along the line. If you follow Paul around long enough and watch the miracles, hear his speech, and um, see the things that Paul talks about actually coming to play, you would think, man, I, th this guy's believable. Not only because I believe what he's saying, but because he, he proved it by uh, the events that took place after that. But they were more persuaded by the helmsman. And the, and the owner cares about making, making his money. He wants to get to Rome to make money. If he doesn't make to Rome with the cargo, he's not going to get paid. So that's an incentive for him to get there. And because the harbor was not suitable to winter in, the majority advised to set sail. The majority. See, it's always good to have a majority because they always make the right decisions, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... The majority advised to set sail from there also if by any means they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, opening toward the southwest and northwest, and winter there. So here's the plan. We're going to get back in the ship because Fairhavens wasn't a port where you can stay for the winter. It, it wasn't going to be, you know, uh, the, the best place to stay. So let's get out of here. Phoenix, not this Phoenix. Phoenix was a port in, in Crete, and it was only 40 miles away. That's about a three-hour journey you know, when, you, um, when you're traveling at 12 to 13 knots, you know, that's, a, that's an easy trip. So when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their desire, putting out to sea, they sailed close by Crete. So here they are, they got into the ship and they set out for their three-hour tour, their three-hour tour. They were going to go to Phoenix, three hours away, it should be no problem. And so here they get in and they're going, but not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose, arose called Euroclidon. And when the ship, yeah, Euroclidon, they, they had good names back then. Uh, name your kid that. Um, so when the ship was caught, 
and could not head into the wind, we let her drive. And so here's the problem with um, being in a ship like this that you can't really navigate, you can't control when you have heavy weather. And I've been in storms before in a big Navy ship that we were in storms that were so bad that we could barely make headway. We were doing maybe five knots, and that was just to keep us pointing in the right direction. So it, it was really some struggle. It's really, especially after you have a wonderful um, um, delicacies of, of the Navy meals, and, and then, you know, you hit this storm, um, so I, I don't need to go into detail, but it wasn't easy, and, and it wasn't pretty. And you get into these storms, and the ship, this big, huge, heavy metal ship, is rocking and throwing people around, and it's dangerous. I mean, I, mean, I worked at a radar console, and we had seatbelts to hold us into our seat as the ship was taking these rolls, you know? So, so it, now think of their ship. Wood, a wooden ship that has these sails. They have a couple of rudders. They're, they're two different rudders, one on the port, one on the starboard side, or the left and the right. And, and so, those rudders are how they steer, and they weren't very good at steering. They just kind of kept them close to where they wanted to go. And so the weather can really do damage to a ship. We took a roll one time in my Navy ship, 55 degrees. Now, if you take a 45-degree roll, the wall now becomes equal to the floor and you're, you're in a V-shape. If you take a 55-degree roll, the wall is the floor. And that happened to us um, when we were out there. A water, a wave actually hit us in such a way that water went in the waveguide of the radar and shut our radar down. We had to go back to port to get our radar repaired. So that's in a big Navy ship. And it it can happen. So I feel bad for these guys. And these little seas like uh, the Mediterranean, the Adriatic, the Sea of Galilee, they get some storms that are, uh, are wild, wild dangerous. And so these guys are really experiencing some bad stuff right now. And running under the shelter of an island called Clauda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. The skiff is the little boat that's used when you anchor out in a port and you use the skiff to go back and forth between the ship and the shore. And so they pulled the skiff up out of the water and then secured it uh, on the boat. And they... When they had taken it aboard, they used cables to undergird the ship and fearing lest they should run across, uh, aground on the Sirtis Sands, they struck sail and so were driven. And so here they put these cables all around the underside of the ship to hold it together, basically. 
Uh, we, we didn't have to do that with metal ships, but the wooden ships, they'll fall apart if they get a lot of uh, damage from the waves. They'll fall apart. So they um, put these cables to hold it together, and they were worried about the Sirtis Sands. Well, the Sirtis Sands were actually on the northern side of uh, um, Africa. And so they were worried that they were going to be pushed so far south that they will get caught up on these Sirtis sands. And Sirtis, it means shifting. And what would happen is that as the waves would move along the coast, or even it could even be as much as a mile or two out, the sands would shift and they would uh, create these sandbars. And they were worried that the ship was going to get hung up on one of these sandbars and, uh, and, and ships that have that happen, it trashes um, the boat. And so they were worried about that. They pulled down the sail and they just let, it, let the wind do its deal. So isn't that exciting? You know, you know this is not exactly the cruise line that you would want to be on. And because we were exceedingly tempest-tossed, the next day they lightened the ship. So um, when you have a heavy ship, it's down in the water, it's lower in the water, and especially if you're worried about getting hung up on sand, on sandbars, you lighten the ship so it floats higher so you have less chance of getting hung up. And so they were lightening the ship to make sure that it doesn't run into any rocks or any sand or anything like that. And uh, things were pretty wild. And on the third day, hold on, a three-hour tour, and they're on their third day out there now? Not, not good. So on the third day, we threw the ship's tackle overboard with our own hands. And so he says, Luke says, with our own hands, meaning all hands on deck, everyone grab something and throw it overboard. And they were throwing the tackle overboard. Tackle is very heavy. Uh, they, that's the, the cables that were strapped onto the ship were part of the tackle. But uh, it's also all the gear, the anchoring, uh, you know, they had to throw a lot of that over. There are many anchors on board uh, a boat like this. So uh, they were throwing over all of the stuff that they could do without uh, to lighten up the load. And now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. So can you picture this? Can you picture how bad this is? There throwing stuff overboard, they haven't seen the stars or the sun in many days. And their GPS was down. <laughs> they didn't have GPS, right? The only thing they had were the sun and stars. So without the sun and stars, they had no idea where they were. All water looks the same. When you're in a storm like that, First of all, you can only see about a mile when, when you have that much rain coming down and, and the wind blowing the water. You can't see. And so 
All you see is just like a mile around you, if, if that. And it's pretty dramatic. It's pretty drastic. You know, we in the modern Navy had the opportunity to have radar when it wasn't getting wet. And, um, and we were able to see the shore. So we knew where we were pretty much uh, by the radar fall. We can see, okay, well, we're 12 miles off the coast of this or that country, and we know where we are, and we don't want to get any closer than 12 miles. And so here they were, had no clue as where they were, and all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. I would have to say that the majority of the people on board that boat felt that way. All hope was lost. Have you ever felt that way before? You just felt like there was no hope? That things have been so bad that I just have no hope. I, 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 there's no way I'm going to get out of this situation. And things have been bad for a long time and they're not getting better, they're getting worse. And so I have no hope, and I'm giving up hope. You see, Jesus is our hope. He's really our only hope. Because if we hope in anything in this world, if we hope on our bank accounts, if we hope on relationships, if we hope on our real estate, if we hope on anything of this world, we may find ourselves without hope very quickly as it disappears. Don't hope in your 401k. Hope in Jesus. Because no matter how secure things appear today, tomorrow they can be gone. I've been having discussions with people about the pre-tribulation rapture and they argue with me because they say that I'm leading people astray, believing that Jesus is going to rapture us off the earth before trouble begins in the tribulation period. And they say, you're leading people astray. You're, you're giving people false hope. So if you don't subscribe to a pre-tribulation rapture, that doesn't disqualify you from heaven, by the way. It, it doesn't matter what you believe about your eschatology. It's all about salvation. It's all about our relationship with Jesus. But the pre-tribulation rapture to me makes it even more important for us to ensure that we're living right today because we don't know when Jesus is going to return. And so we have to be walking right with the... Now, if we have a bad day, that's not, oh, I'm not taking today. Today's the rapture, you missed it because, you, you know, you, you drank too much today. Yeah, it, that's not going to happen. But it also teaches us to live for Christ daily. That's the way we should always be prepared. We want to be ready when the master comes back. We want him to be happy with what we're doing when he shows up. And we know that because we read his word. 
And so we're sure of what he has to tell us. But after long abstinence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, men, you should have listened to me. <laughs> right? You know, there's Paul. And not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart. You see, he wasn't just saying, I told you so. See, he's following it up. I urge you to take heart. For there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar, and indeed God has granted you all those who sail with you. Paul had been praying for them. Paul had been. If we look at this story, we can say, hold on. This is Paul, man of faith. How come he didn't just shout at the storm like Jesus did and calm the storm? And then pull into port and everything would have been cool. Obviously, his faith wasn't strong enough to do that. There are some churches that teach that very thing. Don't believe that everything you will will happen. It's not your will, it's his will. And he has the plan. And all we have to do is hang on through the storm. Don't give up hope. And Hang on to whatever. Don't hang on to the tackle that's being thrown over. But hang on to the things that we know is true. This is what we hang on to. And we'll make it through the storm. For there stood by me this night an angel of God, whom I serve, saying, do not be afraid. You must be brought before Peter. That was a promise that God made. Jesus said, you're going to be going before Caesar. So don't worry about this time. That's how come for two years in, in Caesarea, he wasn't worried. He knew where he was going because he was told that was already going to happen. But God granted those who sailed. He's been praying for them. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God. He didn't say, I believe in God. He said, I believe God, that it will be just as it was told to me. However, we must run aground on a certain island. Oh, well, I'm sure the owner of the boat didn't like that. But Paul saw this. The angel told him. Now, when the 14th night had come, 14 nights without sun, without stars, they had no idea where they are. And we uh, 14 nights had come. We were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land, and they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. That's 120 feet. And when they had gone a little further, they took soundings again and found it to be 19 fathoms. That's 90 feet. So here, they're traveling. The sailors sensed they were getting close. How do you sense something like that? Well, as a sailor, you listen for sounds. The sounds change as you get near coastlines. Uh, the, the waves change as you get near coastlines. The pitch and roll of 
the boat changes as you get near coastlines. And so they sensed, hey, we must be getting near a coastline. Things are changing. And so they were taking fathom, uh, they were taking um, soundings, and soundings, it's just a rope with a knot every six feet. And they drop it down, and when it touches the bottom, then they pull it up, and how many knots were there? That's how they determine how deep things were. Then, fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. They didn't know where they were still. They were worried about crashing in the rocks. They were worried about the ship being completely destroyed. So they throw four anchors off the, the stern, the back end of the ship, and hopefully that will slow them down. It will cause some drag. That's what anchors are, are, are there for. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, oh, some of these sailors said, we're out of here. This is not good. We're, we're in trouble here. When they had let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, so here they were, they snuck the, the skiff up to the front of the ship and they were throwing it over and they were going to, oh yeah, we're just putting out some forward anchors here and we're going to anchor and they're trying to really escape. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. He didn't say they cannot be saved. Oh, well, you know, but he said you cannot be saved. Oh, the centurion and the soldiers, they responded to that. So far, Paul has been pretty reliable and so they're going to respond to that. And the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall. And as the day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the 14th day you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. 14 days without food. Well, when you're in a storm like that, you've lost your appetite. I've been in storms where I didn't go 14 days. You know, two days was enough. Ah, I'm going to stomach it. I'll, I'll figure out how to keep it down. So they then were, hadn't eaten for 14 days. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment. For this is for your survival. Since not a hair of your head uh, of, will fall from your head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. He set the example, look, everything's going to be okay. And I'm going to eat some bread right here to prove it to you. I'm going to give thanks to God. And then they were all encouraged and also took food themselves. And in all, there were 276 persons on the ship. Had a lot of people on the ship, you know, and they hadn't eaten for 14 days. And so now they were going to eat and um, hopefully that will get them through. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. So now they're lighting lightening the ship even now they're throwing everything the cargo the wheat the the you know everything that they had they were throwing it into the sea and when it was day 
They did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach unto which they planned to run the ship if possible. See, they're lightening the ship as much as possible because they don't want to get stuck a mile away from the beach. They want to be able to run it as close as possible. So let's get this ship as light as possible and then get enough speed so that we can get as close as possible uh, to the shore there. And they let the anchors go and let them into the sea, meanwhile loosing the rudder ropes, and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where two seas met, that's, that's part of the shifting sands. When you have two seas meeting, they, it, it builds up all the dirt in that area, and they struck a place where the two seas met and they ran the ship aground and the prow, the prow is the very, very front part of the ship, the pointy end of the ship. It's not the brow, that's the whole front end, the forecastle of the ship. This is just that, that ridge that forms the hull that goes uh, under uh, the, the ship. And the prow stuck fast and remained unmovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. And the soldiers' plans were to kill the prisoners, lest any of them should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wanting to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land and the rest, some on boards and some on parts of the ship. And so it was, they all escaped safely to land. Whew. They made it. The ship was completely destroyed. It was coming apart because of the waves hitting the back end of it. And there were pieces of it that they could float to land on. But just as Paul said, every one of them... Now, Paul didn't come up with this on his own. He was told by an angel. And the angel was sent by God. And so Paul had all the information that he needed to make sure that they were saved and told them what to expect. Do you think that at this point they would become believers? There's 276 of them on board. Three of them we know were saved, but what about the rest of them? Uh, you know, this was a great testimony. This was a great witnessing tool. You know, I, I kept my faith through all of this. How often do we go through trials and tribulation and lose the faith that we have been living on, that we've been trusting in all of the years that we've been a believer. And then the thing that we don't expect catches us off guard. Oh, I didn't expect this to happen. I didn't expect my life to turn out like this. I didn't expect these people to turn against me. I didn't expect my own family to do the things that my family... And we come up with these expectations and say, wow, God, where were you then? Well, he's still there. 
I'm sure Job thought that while he was going through his trials. We read his letter and we can see that he was going through that, but he didn't lose his faith in God. He still believed, he still trusted. He was sure of what God was doing and it was right. We close reflecting on Paul's attitude throughout this ordeal. He warned them not to go, but they took the centurion's word instead of Paul's word. And Paul told them in verse 22, take heart, the ship will be lost, but the lives will be spared. He knew that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. We need to remember that and trust every day that God is going to do. He's going to fulfill the promises that he made thousands of years ago, but there's still promises made to us today. We can trust in them. We can be sure. The good news for us is that we can find peace in the shipwreck. We can have peace no matter what is going on because we're going to get through it. So just as Paul had faith in God, we can have faith in God through to through these trials that we go through in our lives. It's important for us to trust in him because when we do, people can see. He had all those witnesses on board the ship that can see that he stuck it out. He knew that God was going to fulfill his promises. And so when we do the same thing in our own lives, people see and they're led to the truth because of that. Amen.